Hi, and welcome to Your Prosperity, a podcast series on financial topics, including tax, wealth creation, superannuation, lending, audit, and many other things that we deal with here on a regular basis at Prosperity Advisors. As with all financial podcasts, any advice you hear in this is general in nature and not to be relied upon. Please contact us for any specific advice. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today is the 20th of May, 2022. My name is Brendan Campbell from Prosperity and I'm here with Paula Tallon, also from Prosperity, part of our tax division. And we're here to talk to you about Section 100A of the Income Tax Act. Paula, welcome and thanks for coming into the podcast. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Uh, 100A, we've uh, heard a bit about it. I think about February, it became a bit of a hot topic to talk about. What is it? Who should be concerned about it? And, uh, and how worried are we about it? Oh, well, Brendan, don't we love our section numbers, 100A? Um, so what exactly is that for those of you who are not tax experts out there? Well, it's all about income shifting, and it's trying to attack areas where income is shifted, but an individual doesn't have the benefit of that income. And I suppose what should be borne in mind on this, this legislation is over 40 years old. So what we had in February was the ATO's interpretation of how they propose to apply this anti-avoidance. And we're told it's not a change in attitude, it's just it's been more documented. So February, it is a bit of a change in attitude. Oh, like I, you know, Brendan, absolutely. And February was an exciting month if you're a tax practitioner because <laughs> we had three releases on the same day, and there was lots of other releases, but we're not going to talk about those today. But we had a tax ruling which was all about 100A, and it's titled Section 100A Reimbursement Agreements. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Then we had the professional compliance guidelines. And what this was looking at was what will the ATO's compliance approach be in relation to 100A? And that's where you may have heard people talk about the green zone, the red zone, and then this gray zone, which they call the blue zone. And then there was also more worryingly a taxpayer alert. And that taxpayer alert was all about parents benefiting from the trust entitlement of their children over the age of 18. And I think that combined with the 100A documents is what got all family trusts running around. But in essence, what 100A is trying to do is if you have adult beneficiaries in a trust, and those adult beneficiaries are made presently entitled to income, but they never get the benefit of that income because perhaps the income goes to the parents, goes towards the parents' mortgage, goes towards living expenses. If that happens, then the ATO would look to apply Section 100A. And Section 100A is much wider than that because it covers off things like companies, it covers off um, transfers to offshore individuals, loads of different things. But we want to focus on how is this impacting our family trusts and should so, they be worried? And that's, that's right, because that's the area that appears to be sort of targeted in this release or the major change of attitude they've had. And as you say, 100 days has been around for a while as, a, as part of the anti-avoidance provisions. But this, this approach from the ATO that all of a sudden we're going to be looking at trusts where there's been, say, a distribution to the adult beneficiary yep. who's at uni and they get distributed 100 grand and taxes paid accordingly. And I never got that at uni, can I just say, <laughs> for the record? <laughs> I agree, I agree. <laughs> uh, and then the, the, I guess their issue now is saying, well, we're okay with that as long as the money follows and then they get that money and it doesn't just, and not some arrangement where it follows and then is gifted back somehow or it's, it's, it's gifted back through some sort of promise of, oh, that was for schooling back in the day when they paid for it, et cetera, et cetera. 
this is probably the change that we're looking at as 100A, as opposed to how it applies elsewhere. It's now they're saying with a trust, that's how it uh, how it's going to apply. That's the, that's the gist, I think, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, and the, the, so the ATO has identified what they view as very high-risk arrangements. So the kind of high-risk arrangements they're looking at is where you have an adult beneficiary, so beneficiary over the age of 18, and they're made presently entitled to income in a trust. And that income that they're made presently entitled to, they never get their hands on that because that's allocated against, say, a family drawings account or a family loan account where mum and dad have drawn down on the money. Or it might be used to fund day-to-day living expenses to say, well, you're living at home, so we're going to charge you all this money for living at home with us. Or even worse, where it's been allocated against expenses that were incurred on behalf of the beneficiary before they ever turned 18. And I think to me, that was probably what triggered the ATO, that they went, that's just too aggressive. So what we were seeing were family trusts where the trust was making a distribution to adult children that was going to parents to cover off school fees, after school netball, after school soccer, your babysitter's fees, everything we've ever spent on you as a child under 18. And the ATO is saying, well, hold on, that it's not a normal family or domestic arrangement. So on that basis, then that was seen as aggressive. So I think they're the high risk areas that they're actually trying to target. I suppose, you know, if you're looking at the high risk areas, then, you know, what's the low risk areas? What are the areas that are still okay? Because what the ATO has said is that income splitting per se is absolutely fine. They have no issue with income splitting, provided the money and the economic benefit follows the distribution. So the kind of things that are still okay, if you've got a spouse and the income from the trust goes into a joint account, that's going to be okay. Uh, The income can be used for joint family purposes and the ATO aren't going to say, well, can you analyze that between husband and wife and who spent what? That's okay to go into the joint account for spouses, not a joint account with the children where their money also goes in and mom and dad are free to draw down on that. or if you've, where the money is used to benefit somebody who is financially dependent on the individual, that would be okay as well. Or if the trustee retains the funds and there's an unpaid present entitlement out to an individual and they could call down on it at a later date. So while the, the guidance is saying, ideally you would pay the money out of the trust as soon as it's declared to the individual, it can be held in the trust provided it's in the trust and free for the individual to draw down on at a later date. That would be seen as low risk. That's that's a good point. I think that's something to keep in mind. It's not so much that uh, the money hasn't flowed. The money doesn't have to flow to the person it was distributed to. It just can't flow to somebody else is kind of the Somebody else it. can't have the benefit. That's what it's all about. It's about someone else benefiting from it. Yeah, and I might just go back. You mentioned income splitting and that's still okay. Obviously, that depends on the type of income it is and that it's through a trust and it's business yeah. income. If it's, I don't want people ringing up saying, can I split my personal services income? No, you can't like split that, your that, personal service income because the change. good thing about tax laws, well, not so good, but there's anti-avoidance for all different kinds of things. And yeah. what we're focused on today is the family trusts and the moving of money around from family trusts. Where, where it's business income or, or it's investment income or passive yeah. income coming in yeah yeah exactly and i think these changes well i say changes but the change in interpretation it's going to hit family trusts quite hard i think in particular where you probably have middle income earners where they really value being able to use their adult children's sort of banding up to 180,000. that's been quite helpful in the overall family wealth situation and maintaining wealth within the family 
So I think they're probably going to be hit hardest. And it's interestingly, the ATO are targeting high net worth individuals, which most of them won't be impacted by this change in interpretation anyway. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. They're, they're very yeah. high net worth, absolutely right. Yeah, they're not really affected because a lot of them always left the money in the trust for the adult children to call down on at a later date. So those unpaid present entitlements were already in the trust. It's mm. that middle right. bracket that's getting caught. Interestingly, too, you said it was, you know, in February when this dropped, it was quite quite the buzz around the accounting tax talk tables. It was uh, definitely happening a fair bit. But it seems there's been a few discussions with the ATO that have they've come out and maybe cooled down a bit what they meant by it. It maybe sounded a bit too aggressive in February, but it, it seems they've they've clarified that a bit further, that it's more of a last resort thing. Is that that's what I'm hearing? Well, Brendan, you know, call me a cynic on this, but I'm thinking, was that quite strategic? So you get these really tough guidelines come out in February. The first few meetings I attended that the ATO were present at, they were very forceful, this is what it's all about, and we're going to enforce it strictly. And more recently, what we're seeing is the ATO going, well, actually, you know, we wouldn't expect this to apply to a lot of situations. And actually, if the money is left in the trust, and they can call down it later, we would be okay with that. But that's not what the original guidance was saying. Also, in relation to the meaning of what's meant by an ordinary family or commercial dealing, because there is an exception from 100A, if you can demonstrate that the arrangements you're entering into are normally family, normal family and commercial dealings. And in the original guidance, it talked about, well, if a loan was made interest free. Now, what we've had is the ATO have said publicly, well, hold on, you know, families do lend money interest free. Wouldn't that be an ordinary family dealing? So there seems to be a tad of a relaxation on that. We have um, sort of the institute bodies and prosperities. Well, we did make representations to the ATO in respect of all of this. And I think ours is on a website if anyone wants to look at it. But what we need further guidance on is what is meant by an ordinary family and commercial dealing. And Brendan, what's ordinary in your family may not be ordinary in my family. And mm. I think that's the subjective test the ATO are going to find very, very difficult to please. Because who's to say what's ordinary in your family? And who's to say what uh, what their interpretation of using it as a last resort is compared to us as well? I must admit, there yeah. you, you get a bit worried when it's written there, and they say, "Oh, but but don't worry, we won't use it unless we really need to." And well, that's a little it, unsettling. There was just a point on that, Brendan, as well. I think you know any anti-avoidance is really just a last resort, and what we have seen in the past is the ATO can attack distributions on bad paperwork, lack of resolutions things not being documented properly. So in my experience, the ATO are more likely to test your paperwork before they ever go down 100A because they might be able to undo your transaction on the basis that your paperwork's null and void anyway. Yeah, yeah, good point. And I guess the key to this is just going to be record keeping and making sure you're tracking. Well, if you are distributing to someone, what benefit have they derived throughout the year? The trust maybe would be giving money to them anyway, making sure there's a flowing of money to them. And if it doesn't flow through, yeah. then make sure it's not flowing to somebody else. Make sure so, the trust has a bank account. And then you'd be well, surprised how many trusts do not have a bank account. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good, a very good point as well. So, yeah. I, sorry, Brendan, I was just going to say one more thing on that as well. In relation to, we've talked in the past before about families having this sort of family trust strategy document that they set out what the trust is for. 
so if there is money being retained in the trust for a child who's going to want a house in three to four years time, then there's good evidence as to why the money hasn't been handed over to the child just yet, because we don't want them to go and blow it on holidays. We want them to use it for a deposit on their first house. So mm. that might be a very conscious trustee decision. And while the trustees may think that, they may talk about it. If it's not documented, we haven't got any evidence. So documenting your strategy as well. And talking to your accountant about putting something in place to record that and understanding yeah. doing your distributions. Well, what is that for? Are they going to get the benefit or is it being held for them at a future point? And documenting it is going to be the key, I think. Yeah, documentation is always key and doing it at the time of the transactions, making Great. sure it's in place. Well, thank you, Paula. I do appreciate that. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, really hope everyone out there enjoyed the podcast. For more information about you, Paula, how can they get in contact with you? Oh, they're more than welcome to call me or send me an email at ptalent at prosperity.com.au. And I'd be the same as a B Campbell at prosperity.com.au because obviously we're both from Prosperity. Uh, and if you were after more content on a variety of different, different topics encompassing your financial prosperity, as we see it here at, at Prosperity Advisors, um, feel free to you know, join this pod podcast series and have listened to anything else we've got out there. Thanks for sharing.